Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. Great job, everyone. If you would uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to chapter 31 of the book of Proverbs. As our friend Will shared with us, uh, our last study, as the Lord allows in this book, Good Times Together. Father, we ask for your, uh, your wisdom and insight as we uh, consider now. And Lord, that you would bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Will read earlier from Proverbs chapter 1, but I, I want to remind you of some things that we saw there as we move toward the conclusion of our study today. So again, uh, these words from Proverbs 1 say this. This is the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, the purpose of which is this, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, for doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Then he goes on and he says this, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise. Then he brings it all together in verse 7. The reason I'm here uh, in chapter 1, he says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so the place where Solomon begins is that it's the fear of the Lord, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And that place where he begins is going to actually be the place where he ends up. If you are in Proverbs chapter 31, take notice of verse 30, second to last verse of the book. It says this, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So the place where he begins is the fear of the Lord. The place where he ends is the fear of the Lord. And as we've been looking in our study of the book, all through the middle, it's about the fear of the Lord. And so the beginning, the middle, and the end. The message of the book is the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. So when circumstances don't seem to make sense, the Lord will say to us, you need to trust me even though this doesn't make sense. And when we do that, when we make that decision, I'm going to trust the Lord in this situation, that's fearing the Lord. When the Lord tells us to do something and we don't feel like doing it, and yet we obey anyway, when everything is pulling us in an opposite direction, but we continue to obey, that's fearing the Lord. When we don't understand something, and yet we decide, you know what, I'm going to trust you anyway, Lord even though it doesn't seem to make sense to me, that choosing to trust the Lord in those circumstances that don't seem to make sense, that's fearing the Lord. That's what it means to fear the Lord as we've been considering. And so again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the end of wisdom. It's the middle of wisdom. Wisdom enters in and then it remains as we submit ourselves in fear and reverence to the Lord. And so this morning, as we turn to the latter half of Proverbs chapter 31, we're going to see one more example of the place that the fear of the Lord plays in a person's life 
is, as a means of both acquiring and then retaining wisdom. And so here in Proverbs 31, we have the example of what has been referred to as the virtuous woman. The virtuous woman who fears the Lord and as a result lives a life that is marked by wisdom. You look at verse 1. You recall, if you were with us, that chapter 31 begins by looking at the words of King Lemuel. And there it tells us that his mother taught him this oracle, this nine-verse oracle. So really it's the words of King Lemuel's mother there in Proverbs 31. And those words stayed with him, as we saw, for decades. Recorded for us again in the first nine verses, they were words of encouragement. We saw that. They encouraged him, you need to grow up to be a king. You're a young prince now, but you need to grow up to be a king. And this is the man that you should look to become, a man that can govern his passions. You're never going to be able to govern someone else until you can govern yourself, is what Lemuel's mother told him. And you have to be a man that gives himself to providing justice, for justice, I should say, in society. Remember all those things we learned? That you have to become the voice of the voiceless and so on. Well, now as we move on to verse 10 and the rest of this chapter, there's some question as to whether these words continue as an oracle of Lemuel's mother, just like verses 1 through 9 were an oracle of Lemuel's mother, or if it's a different section altogether. And just from the bat, we don't really know if it's her mom, his mom speaking again or it's somebody else altogether or what have you. Now, there are some suggestions. Some have suggested that King Lemuel's mother continues her instructions to her son with the intent essentially saying, son, you need to find a wife like this. I'm going to describe the wife you need to be looking for. So some people think that that was the purpose of uh, the rest of this particular chapter. Others have suggested that verses 1 through 9, King Lemuel's mother is giving instruction to her son, and verses 10 through 31, she's giving instruction to her daughters, that this is the type of women you need to become. That's possible, certainly so. Others have suggested that these are Lemuel's words, and whereas he initially gave us what his mom taught him, now he's describing his mom to each of us. And so that the final 30 verses or so, 20 verses or so, are his description of his mother. And, and there's a case for that. If you look at verse 28, it says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. And so if indeed this is Lemuel describing his mother, that's exactly what he's doing. He's rising up and he's calling her uh, blessed and so on. But again, we don't necessarily know exactly who wrote this or their purpose in writing this. And regardless really of why it was written, I think all of us, I know all of us consider we can glean the wisdom that is given to us. 3,000 years ago, at the most, uh, but, and likely in that ballpark, these words were given to us. And essentially, this is a chapter about wisdom. And so since it's a chapter about wisdom, this is a chapter that has lessons for both men and women of character. These are the traits that the Lord would have each one of us to have. So this isn't a chapter just for women. A lot of people say, oh, Proverbs 31, that's the, the chapter for women. This is the chapter for all of us. And there's wisdom here for each of us because the overall message of this chapter is, again, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that that fear of the Lord should inspire the following things. This is what we see of this woman, this example here, is that the fear of the Lord should inspire us to be people that are faithful stewards of both our time and our talents. Is that a woman thing? 
That's a, that's a person thing, all right? And we all want to be faithful stewards. This chapter, the fear of the Lord should inspire us to be productive and beneficial in our lives for the benefit of ourselves and for others. It should inspire us to have a diligent work ethic. Every one of these character traits that I'm giving you is described in this chapter. That we would be wise in our business dealings, that we would have compassion for the poor, that we would be people of integrity. And so each one of those things has already been introduced to us in different places in the book of Proverbs, and now they're on display for us with the example of this particular woman in these last 20 or so verses of the book. And they're character traits that we should all be looking to possess and have developed in our lives. And so with that, we jump into it. Now, one more point with this section of the book, verses 10 through 31, is actually, you don't notice it so much in our English translations, but you would notice it in the Hebrew translation. It's an acrostic. And what that means is every verse begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so somebody has referred to this as the ABCs of wisdom. It's an acrostic poem. And that was a common form of writing in the different poetic books in our Bible. So you see it multiple times in the Psalms. You see it here in Proverbs. You see it in Jeremiah's writing in the book of Lamentations. And the reason why they did that, it was primarily designed as a memory technique. And so if I asked you to memorize 25 verses, you'd be like, oh, gee whiz, I can't remember, you know, what that fourth one was. But if you know the fourth one began with the letter D, you'd probably have a good way of like recalling what it said. And the next one's going to be E, and the next one is going to be F. And so these verses were encouraged, presented in this way, primarily so you could memorize these verses. That might be a good challenge for many of us here in the congregation. What if you memorize verses 10 through 31 of the last chapter? Well, Proverbs 31 is a familiar passage, as I've said. It's it's sort of like John 3.16. Most of us know what John 3.16 says. What's John 3.20 say? Anybody know? You probably don't know that one, right? But you know John 3.16. You know John 14.6. You know Romans 3.23. And many of us are familiar that Proverbs 31, that's the passage about the virtuous woman. The woman who it is said surpasses all other women. Well, that being said, uh, let's, let's jump in. Ready? Verse, uh, I had an allergy attack this morning, so I'm all in trouble breathing. Forgive me. Uh, so... Bear with me. Verse 10 says this, An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. Now I've been saying virtuous wife. ESV says an excellent wife. The King James Version is the version that translates it as a virtuous wife. And that's where we get that common phrase or a, a lot of our headings in our Bibles will say the character of a virtuous woman. One thing you will notice about the King James Version, notice it doesn't use the word wife, but it uses the word uh, woman there. And so we're looking at the virtuous woman, the excellent woman. And that is a better term, really, to describe the intended word there, because it describes either a ma- both a married woman and a single woman. It describes a woman in general. And in the context of things and the passage's purpose it's probably better to say that it's written to a single woman who will one day become somebody's wife. Now, the word that is used there that is translated either excellent or virtuous, it's a word that's used many times in the, in the Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament. And that's important because it sort of gives you a larger picture of all that the word means. 
And so you go back and you look at all those other examples of how the word is used and you expand your definition of the word. And so we read in 2 Kings chapter 24, there it refers to all the mighty men of valor. That word mighty is translated excellent or virtuous here in Proverbs. In Genesis chapter 47, it refers to the competent men. And so, same word that is used there. In Exodus chapter 18, it describes the able men from all the people. And so you take all those words that we have translated as virtuous or excellent, and here's the definition of, or the way the sentence would be written, who can find a strong, capable, competent, able woman, or an excellent woman, a virtuous woman. And the, the writer here goes on to say such a woman is far more precious than jewels. It's as if they're saying, look, if you do find such a woman, give up whatever you can to obtain her and whatever you can to retain her. Now that's from the perspective if mom is telling her son, you need to find this kind of wife. Now if it's from the perspective of mom telling the daughters, you need to be this kind of wife. Give whatever it takes to become that woman and give whatever it takes to remain that particular woman. And so as we look at the marks then of this strong, capable, competent, able woman, we start in verse 11. Notice it says this. It says, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. The first thing that we see about this woman is she is trustworthy. She's trustworthy, particularly by those who know her best. So some people are trustworthy outside of the home, the whole world out there. They see, you know, the best that that person has to give. But the people inside the home see what's really going on. But the people that know her best still call her and think of her as trustworthy. Notice the heart of her husband, it says, trust in her. In the deep places of who he is resides a confidence in who she is. And that's why he can trust her. He trusts her deeds and her actions, and he trusts that all of them are going to be for his good and never for his harm. Or his fa their family's good and never for their harm. You see in verse 12, she does him good and not harm all the days of his life. So that means when she speaks into his life, he knows it's not because she's being vindictive or that she's trying to stick it to him in some way, but rather she speaks truth into his life, and truth is sometimes hard to hear, but she speaks truth into his life because she loves him and wants good for him. And with that confidence firmly implanted into his heart, he can entrust himself to her. And that's one of the beauties and the joys of marriage as we grow in our relationship with our spouse is that our hearts can be completely open to the other. And we can entrust ourselves to the other. If you think of your heart in a physical sense as this, you know, fragile uh, substance that has to be guarded, you have to be really careful with it. Well, that's what we're doing in an emotional sense as we grow in deepness of relationship with our spouse. We're entrusting our fragile heart to the other person. And he can do that just as hopefully she can do back to him as well. And so when a man finds a wife that he can entrust his heart to, or a wife finds a husband that she can do the same, that man lacks nothing. Notice it says that there in verse 11, he will lack no gain. Now, I'm, I'm sure this fellow, if he could make a little more money at work, he'd like to do that. 
if he could get a promotion and uh, have a little less difficulty making the ends meet, I'm sure he would appreciate that. But it, when push comes to shove, if he had to choose between these riches on this side and a woman that he can entrust his heart to on that side, he would choose the woman that he can trust his heart to. There really is no decision. And so a husband that is privileged to have such a wife knows in his heart that he lacks no good thing. And so that's the, the first initial character trait of this woman that's presented to us is she's a woman of integrity. She's a woman that can be trusted, which of course has been a message of the book of Proverbs, hasn't it? It's not just here like, oh, that's a new one. That's been all through the book. Proverbs 11 says, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Chapter 28 says, better the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. Chapter 12, the Lord detects, detests, I should say, lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. The way of wisdom is a way of integrity. And the man or the woman who fears the Lord is going to seek to be a person who walks in integrity. First point that we take away from this woman. The second point continues on there, and that is that this woman is a woman of diligence and ingenuity. We did our word cloud earlier. One of my words was diligence that I jotted down. Diligence, its opposite is sluggardliness, is repeated even more times in the book of Proverbs than the idea of integrity is. So Proverbs 10.4 says this, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Chapter 12, verse 24, the hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be put to forced labor. And verse 27, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. And then one more, chapter 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly surprised, or excuse me, uh, supplied. So the wise individual is going to be a diligent individual. Again, as we defined it in the past, that's a person of industry, ingenuity, hard work, and perseverance. And the general principle that the book of Proverbs has been communicating to us is that the place of prosperity in both material things and spiritual things is marked by a person's level of diligence. And here we see about this woman, starting in verse 13, it says that she rises early, it says there specifically in verse 15, while it's yet night, to provide for her household. So we see this lady is not adverse to hard manual labor, if such labor is needed. Look at 13, it says she works with her hands. Verse 16 says she plants a vineyard. And notice it says she does these things with willing hands. Some versions say cheerful hands jazz hands or something. I'm not sure what that exactly means here, but she does them with willing hands or cheerful hands. She's not adverse to hard work, and she does that hard work with gr- without grumbling and complaining because it's great that she's out there and she's digging and she's planting this and that and so on, but if she does it with grumbling and complaining through the whole process, it's just a matter of time until those that are around her are like, you know, I'd rather you not do anything. If she's going to grumble and complain and through this whole process, I'll do it myself or whatever. You see what I'm saying? And so she commits herself to this hard work and she does it without grumbling and complaining. Another characteristic of this woman is that she is forward thinking. And look at verse 16. It says she considers a field and then buys it with the fruit of her hand. She plants a vineyard. She considers. That means she fixes her thoughts upon something 
purposes, weighs, and evaluates before moving forward. So this woman is a forward-thinking woman. She doesn't just jump into something because it appears on her radar or it's the fancy of the day, but rather she stops, she inspects, she considers what sort of an impact is this going to have on myself, on my family, my husband, our finances. She asks herself these questions in this specific example. Is this field worth purchasing? Will this purchase be for our benefit or will it soon become our bane? This is a, this is a pretty amazing woman. And she's a busy woman. Notice these things. She's up early to make breakfast for everyone. She's out to the marketplace to gather food for subsequent meals. Then she sits down to quickly spin some wool and flax. I don't even know what that means. Long after she has a meeting, or not long after, a meeting with the realtor, probably around lunchtime, and she finalized the deal. And then she leaves herself enough time to get in some planting before the kids get home from school. This is a busy woman, right? That's not the point that's trying to be communicated. And see, I think a lot of people have problems with Proverbs 31 because they look at this and they're like, I can't live my life this way. I got to be at my own job and I got to do my own things. And this is, you know, crazy or whatever. And yeah, I guess that worked back then or whatever it may be. That's not the idea that Proverbs 31 is trying to communicate. This flurry of activity described in these verses doesn't mean she's doing these things each day and every day of the week. The point is to show the many different areas that this woman is diligently applying herself to in the management of her home and her family. And so the takeaway then is this. This is a hardworking, creative, diligent woman who in her diligence is a great blessing to her husband and children. And that's an example for every one of us, male or female here. Now, if you continue and you look at this woman, look at verse 17. It says, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and she reaches out her hands to the needy. Now she begins by saying that she dresses herself with strength. Some versions say that she girds herself up with strength. A helpful picture might be if you have to do some heavy jobs and you have a little problem with your back, you might get one of those back braces that you put on first. And you gird yourself up, if you will, with that back brace. You think of weightlifters that, you know, pump like the real big iron and they're in the separate room in the gym and us little people can't go there. You know, and these guys, they put these super big belts on or whatever because they're going to lift that particular weight. A more feminine feature of this, and it's not even just feminine, you think of the story of the prodigal son, and you're familiar perhaps with it, when the father sees his son, he takes his long robe that he has and he kind of, he, he rolls it up and he tucks it into his sash so that his knees are open and he can run out there and not be tripped up by that loose flowing robe there. And so you think of this woman here, perhaps she has a long flowing garment and she will hike it up, if you will, so that she can get to work and not be tripped up. That's the, all the ideas behind girding herself with strength. And so in all three of those instances, then the idea is this. This woman is not going to be stopped because of the, fi- the physical difficulty of the labor. That's the point. And again, we've seen this principle in Proverbs. She figures out a way. So you remember that proverb that I was looking at a lot, it seemed like every week, about there's a lion in the street, I can't go out there. And again, there may or may not have been a lion that was out in the street, 
But even if there was a lion that was out in the street, everybody else in society figures out a way. And wise people figure out a way. And that's what that is being described here. She's not going to allow the loose flowing garment or whatever to stop her. And she'll figure out a way to overcome that. She she straps on her back brace, so to speak. And she gets to work there. Now look at verse 18. There, much like it did in 16, where it talked about she purchased a field, it says she carefully considers the merchandise that she purchases. So 18 specifically says she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. And because, then, that she is careful to purchase only those things that are worth her investment, notice her lamp does not go out at night. And so because she's careful about her purchases, she considers these things, perceives these things, fixes her attention on these things. When she needs needs those things, those things are going to work because she did the legwork previously. Her lamp does not go out at night. And as we've seen then, because of all of these marks of diligence and integrity, that almost without exception is going to be this woman, she's going to be a successful woman in her society. Now notice verse 20, because I think that's significant. So picture in your mind a very successful woman. Verse 20 then says, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. And what's another mark of wisdom? Another mark of wisdom that we see in this particular lady here is she is committed to giving as much as she is to getting. That another mark of a wise woman or person is that they are generous and they are compassionate. And then notice this about her generosity. Notice that she places herself, verse 20 there, in such proximity that she can reach her hand to the needy. So this is not a lady that's just writing checks here, you know, give it to them, give it to that, give it to this, I get the tax write-off or whatever. But she gets in proximity to the needy that she can reach her hand to the needy. And so she works hard, as we've been seeing. And I even drew sort of that example there. But at the same time, she doesn't close off her heart to those that are in need. And many times when people work hard and they're diligent and they're successful, they do close off their hearts to those in need. And they say something like this, well, I worked hard for everything I got. And maybe if other people would work a little harder, etc. Now, there may be some truth to that. And sometimes your helping can hurt another person. But if that's the attitude of your heart, the default attitude of your heart, you're going to miss opportunities that the Lord has placed before you. And so this woman puts herself in a place where she can reach out her hand to the needy. She's committed to giving even as she is to getting here. And another mark of her wisdom then is her compassion. She maintains a soft heart. William R. No. Do you remember who that is? I told you many times. He's the guy who wrote Laws from Heaven for Life on Earth, that great commentary you can get for a dollar or something on like iBooks or something like that. Well, William R. No. he said this. He said, when material acquisitions are great and benevolent efforts are small, the moral health cannot be maintained. Here's the part I like. When much flows in and none is permitted to flow out, wealth becomes a stagnant pool, endangering the life of those who reside upon its brim. The importance of being a compassionate and giving individual. It's a mark of wisdom. And this woman has come to learn that. And her actions are demonstrating her understanding of this truth goes beyond the head knowledge. But it's working itself out 
in her actions, and she is a giving individual. 21 says this, she's not afraid of snow for her household, for her, all of her household is clothed in scarlet, and she makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. The mark here is she prepares now for what will come then. Remember the wise ants that we looked at a couple of weeks back? I think it was last week. Verse 25 said, the ants are a people not strong, yet they provide for food in the summer. Well, the author here tells us that that's exactly what this woman does, that she's not afraid of the impact of the cold and the snow, that the impact that'll have on her family, because she is already prepared for the inevitable cold and snow that would come. And because of that, she has no fear. She has taken her spring months and her summer months to prepare for the colder fall months and winter months. And as it says there, she has acquired clothes of scarlet. Now, the scarlet clothes was, was a doubled layer garment for the winter months. And so she has prepared for those. They cost money. If she made them, it takes time to make those particular things. But she knows that the winter months are going to come. And so she's acquired those things, or she's made those particular things. It goes on in verse 22. She provides bed coverings for herself and for her children. So this strong, capable, competent, able wife has the wisdom and the diligence and the forethought to ready her household for all kinds of challenges and adversity that will inevitably come. And so none of those things then will catch her off guard. Again, I remember the situation when Hurricane Sandy hit. I, we had seven individual bottles of water in our basement. You know, like you buy a, a case of water, 24 of them. We had seven of those in our basement. And so before the storm was coming, I went down to make sure we were ready. I want to make sure we're ready for this. Uh, whatever happens, we'll be ready. And then the power went out, took a walk like 11 telephone poles outside of our neighborhood went down. They weren't coming up for a long time, needless to say. And we were without electricity. We have a well. We were without water and all these sorts of stuff. And I realized very, very quickly that we were in trouble and that I failed as a dad uh, in our particular home. Now, fortunately, my dad lives a mile away and he continued to have power. But if there was no power for 30 miles or something like that, I'd be hanging out a lot of... We'd, I'd come to find you people who did prepare. And I'd hang out with you people and realize that I had failed. This woman here, completely the opposite of me in that instance, she would not be caught off guard by the cold or the snow or whatever. And that's just one more mark of her wisdom. And so then, with all of those things firmly in place, then notice she looks to her own needs and even her wants. And I think that's important to point out. Because we, we do not want to get into the situation where we buy things for ourselves, luxuries, if you want to think of them that way, and then we feel guilty about it. We can't let anybody know that I, you know, I bought a nice jacket. It was more than I wanted to spend. But I, and then we do the Christian thing. I got a deal, and I was a good store, and all this sort of thing. And it'll last a long time. And we try and convince other people. And we're miserable through this whole process here because we feel like we're lying or whatever. This woman buys nice things for herself. All right? And we see that there. Notice it says, she makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She doesn't need fine linen and purple clothing. That was considered rare clothing. But she, after she has taken care of all these other things, she decides, you know what I want to get? A nice purple garment. All right? I've been wanting to get one of those for a while here. And so God's blessing is on her, her wisdom, her diligence, 
this virtuous wife, she then proceeds to acquire and enjoy personal marks of God's material blessing. And there's nothing wrong with that. So there's nothing wrong with designer jeans or some marks of luxury. Just make sure first your kids have their winter coat and their backpacks have all the supplies that they're going to need in it. She deals with those things first, and then she looks to some of these fine niceties of life. And now we move on. Look at 23. It says, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. There's that old adage, behind every great man is a great woman. And that certainly rings true in this situation. You remember the gate is the place where the seat of government was established. This is where the leaders would, of the city, they would gather, they would deliberate regarding all the issues of that particular community. And because of this, the support this man receives at home from his virtuous wife, that his home life is in order, because of that, he's able to look outside of his home and to the matters of the community, so to speak. Because things are so well run at home, he's able to look outside of the home. And again, it's because of his wife. Verse 24 says, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. So we have this woman of diligence, foresight, ingenuity, and wisdom. And because of all those character traits that are hers, she's able to approach her future with confidence and free of fear. You say, how do you get that? Notice there, she laughs at the time to come. And so whether that time is the winter months, not concerned, all the kids have coats, every bed has a blanket on it. Whether it's the winter years when she's older and her and her husband perhaps aren't able to work as physically hard to produce those particular things, not a problem. We prepared for that. We knew that we were going to get older and not be able to do those things so she can laugh at that. Or whether it's referring to the end of her days. Whatever it is, she is approaching those days with peace and with no regret. That she shall rejoice in the time to come knowing that her family's needs have been taken care of. Because she has taken pains now to provide for then, she can rest in the latter years of her life. And if we are talking about the end of her days, she can come to the end of her days and say this, I have lived life well. I've honored the Lord. I've been a blessing to my husband and our children. My community is better off because I've been a part of it. That's how she can come to the end of our days, her days. What a wonderful gift to give yourself, isn't it? To at the end of your days know and be able to say with all integrity, I lived life well and I honored the Lord. There's no better thing you could give to yourself at the end of her days, and that's why she can laugh at the time to come. Let's look at a few more things. Look at 26. It says, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, and she does not eat the bread of idleness. So this is a pretty great woman. Anybody disagree? She surpasses them all, right? Pretty great human being. And yet, she continues to treat others with kindness and respect. And so, one might expect that a great person of society might begin to look down on other people, but she doesn't. And she continues to treat them with wisdom and with kindness and with respect. Look at 26. It says, she opens her mouth with wisdom 
and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Rather than becoming judgmental of other people, her speech demonstrates that it's characterized by wisdom and kindness. And there's two aspects of her speech that we see here. The first is her deliberate speech. That would be represented by the phrase when she opens her mouth. And so the mouth is shut, nothing's coming out, but when she opens her mouth, deliberately decides, I'm going to say something, the words that she speaks, she opens her mouth with wisdom. Now, the other aspect of it is that says the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Now, that would represent her spontaneous words, those words that are on the tongue and kind of come out uh, of her mouth. And what are those words? What are those spontaneous words that come out? Well, they would be words of kindness. And so this lady's words, both the things she thinks about and says and the things that just sort of come out, are marked by wisdom and kindness. And so she's a woman who has not allowed success and prosperity to rob her of her gracious demeanor. And additionally, notice, despite her success and prosperity, she also hasn't allowed her to rob her of her diligence. It says there in verse 27 that she does not eat the bread of idleness. She continues to work hard, even though I've already, I'm already successful. But she continues to work hard until the day she comes to the end of her days. There's an old expression, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Now, part of the reason why it's an old expression that we still know is because it stood the test of time. It stuck around because it's true. And so despite this woman's success, she refuses to relax her diligence. Matthew Henry, he wrote this, when we have nothing to do, the devil will find us something to do. I'm not sure that's 100% accurate, but I I certainly think it's somewhat accurate. And so here you have this excellent woman, strong, capable, competent, able. She fears the Lord, and she walks in wisdom, and she continues to do that with diligence. Notice this also. Look at verse 28 and 29, as I alluded to earlier. Those who know her best take notice of this. The world might not take notice, I remember when my mom died, I, I said this at her funeral, that the whole world may not have known my mom and, the, and like her greatness or whatever, but I did. So those that are in her home take notice. And here we see this here, verses 28 and 29, it says, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellence, excellently, but you surpass them all. Again, as I said earlier, some people are great at home but they're impossible to bear inside the home, but not this woman. She is who she is when the whole world is watching or within the, con- the confines of the privacy of her residence. And as a result then, both her husband and her children realize this is an outstanding woman. And they tell her. So husbands, let me ask you, do you praise your wife And do you let her know how thankful you are that she is your wife? Kids, do you rise up and bless your mom for the remarkable blessing that she is to you? An excellent wife and mom doesn't do those things so that she will receive their blessings or praises, but she's certainly worthy of those praises. And so husbands and kids, if you haven't stopped to consider how blessed you are, I'd encourage you to do so. And if you do indeed conclude, man, I am really fortunate have the wife I have, the the mom that I have, then you should tell her. That's the example that we see here. Rise up and let her know that I wouldn't want anyone else to be my mom 
or my wife or, or what have you. Many women have done excellent, but you surpass them all. Two more verses, verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Verse 31, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her work pray, works praise her in the gates. Now, charm and beauty are not bad things. They just can't be the only things. And so if this is indeed the advice from King Lemuel's mother about the type of woman that he should pursue, then what the mom is saying is this, son, don't let yourself ignore the inner flaws of a woman simply because she has no outer flaws. That's what mom is saying to her son. So again, charm and beauty are not necessarily bad things. I don't think we are called to marry ugly people or whatever that we find ugly. You're like, oh, she's hideous, but... That must mean I'm really godly or or something like that. I would hope all of us are attracted to our spouses and things like that. So they're not necessarily bad things. She's got a terrible personality, but she goes to church, you know, or whatever. You want to be attracted to the person in every way. But what she is saying is that that can't be the only thing. And so she's pretty, but oh my gosh, run, son, run. Already is what he says here. Because those things may draw you in, but they're deceitful. They're fleeting. Beauty is, fa- is a fading thing at best, and therefore it's vain, it's deceitful, because old age will certainly wither it, and death and the grave is ultimately going to consume it. And so she says then, look, the woman that you want, or to look at a different perspective, the woman that you want to become is a woman that fears the Lord. And so then the lessons end right where the book began. The fear of the Lord is, again, the beginning of wisdom. Beauty fades away after a bit. And it doesn't take very long to see through charm. The person that just sort of puts on that little mask and how they act here. But a woman who fears the Lord has a beauty that does not pass away and a charm that will never deceive. And she's the woman that should be sought after and praised. And so every one of these virtues then that we see in this chapter, here's some of them, diligence, industry, benevolence, kindness, gracious speech, all of those are bound together and created in this woman because of the fact that she is a woman who fears the Lord. All of those character traits are the result of that reality. And again, I said this earlier, some people give Proverbs a hard time. And they, or 31, that is, chapter 31. They say it minimizes the role and the place of women in society. I think part of the reason for that is because the common interpretation of this passage is that all women have to look exactly like this particular woman here in chapter 31. And so if you're not getting up before sunrise and you're not making your kids' clothes by hands and then you're not buying real estate, and then you're not planning, and you're not doing exactly as this particular woman is doing, well, then you're not a truly godly woman. You don't measure up then to the ideal of this particular chapter. Again, that's not the point of this chapter. So don't look at the specifics of the things this woman is doing, okay? I I think hopefully this will help us uh, to understand this chapter if we have a little bit of difficulty with it. Don't look at the specific things this woman is doing, but rather look at the reasons behind why she is doing what she's doing. Look at the character that is expressed as the reason for the things that she's doing. Because what that woman did there 3,000 years ago is going to be different from what women in our society do today. But the character aspects are going to be goals that we are striving for. 
And that's what God is honoring in this particular woman, and that's what he continues to honor today. For many people, looking at it in that traditional way, this chapter becomes very discouraging. I'm not interested in what this chapter says. I think, ooh, next week we're going to be away. Proverbs 31 is up. You know what I mean? And, and they want to avoid this particular chapter. It doesn't need to be discouraging. Even as men, as we look at this particular chapter, as all of us look at this, these character traits, anybody measure up perfectly to these? You know, they should have contacted me to be a model of this chapter or whatever. None of us do. And so all of us then could be discouraged as we look at this. But, but here's the thing of Scripture. These are traits that we should be looking to and aspiring to. These are things that we should measure ourselves against and say, you know what, Lord, I appreciate this. I don't measure up in the area of diligence. Lord, I want to be more diligent. Let's work on that area in my life, Lord. And he's saying the same thing to you. You need to be more diligent. Let's work on that area in your life. And when you fall short of that goal, you entrust yourself to the grace of God. John Corson, he wrote this. May we be those who make virtue our goal and grace our delight. And that's what it means to walk with Jesus as we seek to apply these things to our life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that reality. Thank you for this example, this godly woman. Lord, how blessed each of us would be uh, to know this lady, uh, to have been friends with her, to see her example uh, close up and in front of us. And Lord, how each of us desire to be an example like that in the lives of other people. So Lord, we do want you to create this character within us. And we thank you for the repeated examples throughout this study of the book of Proverbs about the importance of diligence and faithfulness and integrity and hard work and ingenuity and trusting in you when it's hard to do so. And Lord, we know that those are not the natural characteristics of who we are, and yet they are what you create in us. And so, Father, we want to be a people that fear you, that we bring ourselves before you. We lay ourselves as living sacrifices on your altar that you might do a heavenly work within each of our lives and in our hearts. Lord, that you might change us over the years that we walk with you to become more like you. And so we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can completely and totally trust your word. And we can expose ourselves before you that you might minister to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.